0: We are going through this series called Better Together, and um, for lack of a better way of explaining it, we're trying to combine and understand some of the science behind how we learn and uh, what makes learning more meaningful, more memorable, more lasting, and also some of the theology behind it. And uh, my disclaimer is, because a lot of this is so technical, I'm a little bit more tied to my notes than I usually am, so please give me grace on that if I seem to be looking down more than usual. that That's a huge part of it. But uh, today we want to talk about community. Last week we presented the image or the definition of joy, that joy is what we feel when we're in the presence of those who are delighted to be with us. And then we Opened that up, we, we talked about the, the birth of an infant, we talked about marriage, we talked about the second coming, all images, joyful images, and then we entertained and, and started looking at scriptures that give us a glimpse of that's exactly how God feels about us. And for so many of us, that's just like unthinkable, it's just hard to comprehend. We, we have no problem understanding that and believing that for other people, but for ourselves, it's just like, that's too much. There's no way God could feel that way about me, that he's delighted to to spend time with me. He's delighted just to, to be in the presence together. Uh, so often we have images of shame and condemnation and judgment. Well, today, it's combining that with the image of community. What does true Christian community look like, and what does it mean to live that way? So I want to begin with some introduction, and then I want to talk about The work of community and the fruit of community today. If you're taking notes, there's just a lot to take notes on, and uh, yeah, just whatever's meaningful for you. There's an Old Testament word called Hesed, and Hesed is forever in search of meaningful modern day translations because whether it's Hebrew or Greek, there are so many words that are so rich and full of meaning that oftentimes. There isn't a single English word that describes and articulates the power and the action behind these words, and hesed is definitely one of those words. It communicates a sense of enduring connection that brings life and all good things into a relationship. It's a kind and loyal care for the well-being of other people. Some of the ways our English Bibles translate this word hesed are steadfast love. Loving kindness, loyal love, mercies, faithful love. I mean, it goes on. Many of you are familiar with the words of Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O God. That word steadfast love is is one of the ways that Hesiod translated. Well, in the New Testament, the Greek word agape is very similar. We, we understand agape as agape love, unconditional, selfless love. And it's interesting that that word actually was a pretty obscure word until Christians started using it, and until Scripture equated that love with God's love. That out of all of the loves, parental love, possessive love, relational love, friendship love, that agape love, selfless, unconditional love, loving objects, and then actually instilling worth into the objects that are loved, not because they are worthy or not because they've done anything to deserve it, but simply because we delight, that's the kind of love that God has, and it's the kind of love that scripture commands us to have as well. It's probably best illustrated in 1 Corinthians 13, where the Apostle Paul, who is literally penning God's words, he takes a whole chapter to describe it. I mean, if anything articulates the fact that Christian love, biblical love, be it Old Testament or New Testament, is hard to put in any English word, the Apostle Paul takes the whole chapter. Love is kind, love is patient, love is. You know, keeps no record of wrongs, on and on. It takes a whole chapter to define what he means by that love. And so, suffice it to say that Old Testament Christians, New Testament Christians, when words were used, they met a a plethora of meaning to them that oftentimes we have lost in our modern day. The, The words just kind of become vanilla. They become bland. They lose their nuance and their richness. Well, why is all of this important? Because relational attachment is a very essential nutrient in our spiritual formation, in our spiritual maturity, in our growth. If we want to grow up to be like Jesus in all aspects, community is a huge part of that. Last week we saw that joy is the first transforming uh, item that that we've put our focus upon, that joy has the ability to bring transformation in our lives. And the second thing that we're looking at today is community. And not just any community, but Christian community, how it has the power to form our character. And this is important because character formation is the primary task of the church. We are to equip the saints for service. And it's not just about getting people to perform tasks, But it's about building up each other, the body of Christ, into the image of our Lord and Savior. We are His bride. We reflect Him. And we want to grow up in all ways as He is. So, neuroscientists inform us that the brain draws from our strongest relational attachments to grow our character and to develop our identity. So the brain is using our strongest relational attachments with God And with other people, (coughs) to constantly form our character and our identity as people. Who we love literally shapes who we are. That's why scripture says, you know, bad company, you know, corrupts good morals. Like it's important who you hang out with because so much of life is caught rather than taught. And we tend to emulate those who we are around. Our brains are designed to use our attachments to form um, our character. And attachment is really the strongest force in the human brain. Attachment is the best word that scientists can find for what glues people together, what bonds us to one another, what it is that causes little ones, both humans and animals, to be bonded inseparably with their parents, that instinctual, primal connection and glue that holds us together. That's how they refer to attachment. Attachment produces an enduring care for the well-being of one another, and it's, it's really reflective of God's enduring love and care for us. As we love one another, we are modeling and imitating the love that our Heavenly Father has for us that brings about good in our life and that's the goal of our attachment with others, is not to meet our own needs and not to manipulate others for our agendas and our purposes, but to bring about good in their life. That's what scripture lifts up. The biggest surprise emerging from brain scan studies has been that our brain, for our brain, identity develops through our attachments. So It's these attachments with God and with other people that actually form our identity. As we talked about last week, joyful attachments develop a healthy brain, and sad or bad, fearful attachments develop an unhealthy brain. And we've seen examples of of both in our own life and in the lives of others. Character develops through relationships. And you're going to get tired of hearing me say this, but throughout the sermon, I'm going to talk about hesed, which is that Old Testament word, slash agape, the New Testament word, community. I'm not just talking about any community, but I'm talking about the type of community that the Old Testament describes as hesed and the New Testament describes as agape. God's love, his unfailing love, his mercies, his loving kindness, unconditional, selfless love, all of these ideas bundled together. That's what we mean when we talk about this community. And it's a type of community that helps us to be able to endure tough situations, trials, when things don't go our way, when they don't go ideally. Character in the brain is an expression of an identity that has grown strong and well. So as we develop a strong, mature character in Christ. Through these relationships with God and one another, that helps us to weather the storms of life and to remain firm, to remain steadfast and consistent. Of course, for Christians, our goal is that we would have a a brain that looks like Jesus, that our mind would be reflective of Christ's mind. And and Apostle Paul actually says that. As Christians, you have the mind of Christ, and we want to imitate Christ in all things. That's our goal to be like Jesus, to look like Jesus. I've been talking about what what scientists call the prefrontal cortex in our brain and how it's configured with these neurological circuits representing three faces that are engaged with one another. And we talked about that last week in terms of infants, that from the very first, uh, the the beginning of an infant's life, that engagement with, with its parents the mom and the dad and this triad of relationships. And we pose the question, could it be possible that God has actually designed our brains after the model and the image of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And, And wouldn't it be just like God that he has designed our brains to work and respond in terms of not only relationships, but relationships of love? Well, churches without... Hesed and agape community start looking and functioning more like institutions than churches. They're just a building. They're a place where people gather, but there's no life. There's no community that takes place there. A church without chesed, agape, no longer shines the light of Jesus, no matter how much ministry it accomplishes. We can be doing things in Jesus's name, but if we aren't the evidence of the sweet aroma of Christ as we're doing it. If we're not communicating that love and that bond that takes place through knowing him and, and being committed to one another, then it's like what 1 Corinthians 13 says. We're just a, a clanging symbol, a noisy gong. We're making a lot of noise, but we're not really doing anything effective and enduring. A church may have perfect doctrine, but without love, A congregation ceases to live out its calling as a church. It ceases to be the body of Christ and to fulfill the role for which God intended us to fulfill. Low hesed and agape in a church results in a transactional culture. You do this, I'll give you that. Relationships between leadership and staff and volunteers are largely perfunctory and performance-based. As long as you provide what the church wants, you are welcomed and valued. If you no longer perform, you become invisible. Eventually, you become dismissed and forgotten. And as I said last week, many of us have had that experience in church or in ministry, and it's incredibly disillusioning because we've experienced that in different contexts in the world, but when you experience it in church or in the kingdom of God, it's like, what's up with this? This is not the way it's supposed to be. When people are discarded because they're no longer useful, hesed and agape is extremely low. So we're going to be talking today about how do we work, how do we do the work of community so that we can experience the fruit of community. Because what I've just been describing is not God's intention for the church or for his people. Jesus wants his bride to, to function as a family, as an interconnected community, bonded together through joyful attachments of love. This is the essence of Hesed agape community. So let's begin with talking about how we, how we find, how we create this community. I want to begin today by suggesting that the, the work of community, in my mind as I read scriptures, as I understand community, begins with this concept of yielding. I begin that the first part of the work of community is yielding both to God and to one another. Yielding involves bending, being flexible, accommodating one another in love. God knows over the last four years, with the pandemic, with the uh, elections and politics and race relations and everything else going on, we as Christians have have been. stressed into into understanding what it means to not fight for our entitlements, but to accommodate one another in love, to be flexible, to be vulnerable with each other. Philippians 2 is such an amazing passage for that, where, where the Apostle Paul says, you know, don't just look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. It's so easy for us as Christians to just start associating with other people who are just like us who affirm us in our beliefs in our preferences in our you know our likes and dislikes and we never really wander outside of that bubble we just hang out with other people like us and that that's not community that's not hesed agape at work because the essence of community means yielding i saw Uh, a video on um, LinkedIn, which they're going to put up here in a minute, and one of the things I love about LinkedIn is they have amazing videos, but one of the downsides is you can only share it with other people on LinkedIn unless you're able to capture it, which our new tech director did, and this is what it looks like. So, amazing short little video, and you're thinking, what the heck? (laughs) What I liked about this and what immediately stood out in my mind is, here's a piece of paper, and you're thinking, there is no way in the world that CD is going to pass through that square. It's too big. But as the paper bends, as it folds, it accommodates the CD, and it accomplishes something that, at the beginning, we thought was impossible. To me, that is such a great visual, as we talk about images That is such an amazing image of community. When, as we bend, as we flex, as we accommodate others, God is able to do other things in this world and for his kingdom that we never thought were possible, that are beyond us. Simple example, but hopefully memorable in that regard. Part of the beauty of yielding also means sharing our weaknesses with one another. Sharing our weaknesses is an essential practice that deepens connections. Concealed weakness leads to shallow hesed, shallow agape. In a high hesed or agape community, everyone can share the difficult and vulnerable areas of their lives. Because unlike our culture that attaches around strengths, as Christ followers, we're able to attach around our weaknesses as well. And we find that it's actually our weaknesses that are connecting points with other people. I've talked about that many times, and by the way, that's the essence of that book, Everybody's Normal Till You Get to Know them. that maybe one of you has, that I'm looking for, that I'm willing to offer a brand new copy so I can get my marked-up copy back. But the whole premise of that is that we go throughout life hiding our weaknesses, our faults, our insecurities, and projecting this perfect image of ourselves that other people either accept and think, wow, that's unattainable, I can never be like them, I don't want to be around them because they make me feel horrible about myself. Or they see through it and they go, what a hypocrite. I know who they really are, and what a joke that they're trying to act that way around other people. So it's not hiding our weaknesses, but it's being vulnerable about our struggles because it's the connecting point with other people. As Other people go, I thought I was the only one that dealt with that, that struggled with that, that felt that way. And it allows us to link arms and work together on spiritual formation, character formation. Since most of us have built-in reflexes to hide our blemishes and magnify our strengths, what we need in the church and what we need in the kingdom of God are leaders who can show us how to share our flaws and how we can accept the weaknesses of others with gentleness how we can gracefully accept the weaknesses of others without shaming people, without making people feel judged, without making them feel abnormal. But just like, you know, the church is for imperfect people. The church is designed to be a hospital for sick people. And when we come here and we dress up and we act like we got it all together, when hurting and needy people come, they feel like this isn't the place for me. This is the place where we present our holiness to the Lord. No, this is the place of all places in life and in the world where we can be authentic and real and say, I'm messed up. I have struggles, continual things that I battle, and I need your help to encourage me, to stimulate me to love and good works. That, that's what Christian community is all about. In, in 1 John chapter 4, we see this intertwined attachment of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit bonded together in loving relationships. And God has invited us into community. God did not create us, as we said last week, for community. It wasn't that God was lonely and he had to create us so he had people to hang out with. God was perfectly content and full and complete in himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He invited us to be part of that community. And 1 John 4 says, how can we say that we love God if we don't love his people, if we don't love our brothers and sisters? If a brother or sister is in need of food or clothing or another necessity and we just say to them, hey, be warmed and be filled, God bless you, but we don't do what's necessary to help them, how can we say that we love God? So John, the Apostle John, is arguing that you can't separate the loves. You can't say, I love God, but I can't stand his people, or I kind of like church people, but I'm not really sure of God. It's all connected. To love God is to love his people. It's this interconnected attachment of love. And God's plan is for us to be this interconnected community of love that lovingly yields for the best of one another. That's what it means to yield. The second thing that I believe is a work of community is sacrificing. And by sacrificing, I mean love. But if I said love, oftentimes we think of a million other things that love communicates in our mind rather than sacrifice. But I would argue that unconditional love is always sacrificial, always, because unconditional love, agape love, is other-centered rather than self-centered. And so much of our love can be self-serving. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You meet my need, I'll meet your need. You do what I'm interested in, and maybe once in a while I'll do what you're interested in. But agape love is sacrificial. And unfortunately, in our world today, joy and love are no longer the central characteristics of Christian discipleship. And this is a kind of a result of the Enlightenment. The Enlightenment, we started thinking intellectually and rationally, and we kind of reduced spiritual transformation to this formula that went like this, truth plus good choices plus power equals transformation. Transformation. Transformation is about truth, it's about good choices, and it's about empowerment. So Christian communities have taught and operated under this principle that solid biblical teaching, having solid doctrine or truth, applied with the teaching of our lives, good choices, through the power of the Holy Spirit, produces transformation. And as we look at that formula, we think, yeah, that's reasonable, that's biblical, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that is that you can be practicing that formula and applying that formula completely without love. Completely without love, completely without grace, and so many other attributes that Jesus modeled so beautifully for us. Jim Wilder and Marcus Warner in their book, The Solution Choice, argue that any model of transformation and character change Must be anchored in the development of a love bond with God and with His people. You want to change your character, you want to grow spiritually and become mature, it all relates to our attachments and our bond with God and with His people, and how we, the things that we believe about those, and the ways that we respond to them, how huge that is. John 14, 23 and 24, we've been looking at that passage over the last several weeks. Jesus says in John 14, uh, 23 to 24, the one who loves me will keep my commandments. The one who doesn't love me won't keep my commandments. And that was in response to one of the disciples saying, why are you telling us things that you're not telling everybody else? And Jesus is like, basically because you guys love me. And you're going to do what I say. Other people are just here for the miracles and the signs and the wonders. They're not really about following out my teaching. And so those who love me will keep my commandments. And he goes on to say, and they will be loved by my Father, and my Father and I will come and we will make our abode or our dwelling place in that person. So we find out through here that our loving relationships with God bring about lasting change and transformation in our lives. That's what it's all about The image of the vine and the branch in John chapter 14 is a clear picture of attachment. Jesus presents a simple formula. No attachment, no fruit. If you're not connected as a branch to the vine, whatever you do is going to be in vain. It's not going to produce fruit or lasting fruit. You're going to wither up and dry up and become dead. No attachment, no fruit. That's a simple formula And principle that Jesus presents in John 14. Our Hesed agape with Jesus is an attachment flowing with life, strong and permanent. It's this bond. Jesus attached, He's attached to His Father, and He wants the same for us. Jesus wants us to be attached to one another the same way that He is attached to His Heavenly Father and to the Holy Spirit. He commands us to have that same attachment with each other. 1 John 4 is all about that again. A paraphrase of 1 John 4, 11 might read this. Dear friends, since God has joyfully attached himself so firmly to us, so also we ought to attach ourselves to each other as family members. And I would argue that attaching ourselves to other people as family members, deeply as That takes sacrifice. That's not easy. It's not fun. It's not easy to attach yourself to people that are different than you, to people that bring out insecurities and weaknesses and fears in you that that you didn't even know were there because they challenge you and they rub you the wrong way. It takes sacrifice, but that's the essence of community. The final thing that I would argue constitutes the work of community is imitation. Imitation is huge. In scripture, for spiritual formation and maturity. The Christian life is about modeling Christ-like behavior as we disciple others to become all that God intended them to be. And as we allow ourselves to be discipled by someone else as well. It's not just about us as leaders discipling other people, but it's that every single person is in a discipleship relationship. That you are never too old, you are never too mature to not be in a discipleship relationship how important that is, how life-giving that is. This is how spiritual formation takes place. Unfortunately, the church is one of the only environments in life today where we can do that with people of all generations. So often in our culture, people get segregated according to their age. You know, And let's have all the youth here, let's have all the young marrieds here, let's have the seniors here. And, and, and the church is one of the few places today where we can have intergenerational relationships, where we can benefit from the wisdom of a people that have lived and had different experiences of life than we have. And it brings a different perspective. It brings a different um, truth that oftentimes we haven't confronted before. As we've been learning, our right brain operates in the realm of relationships. Our relational experiences and memories mold our character. When we see a more mature person handling a stressful, chaotic situation in life gracefully and lovingly, it provides a picture for us. And as I said before, that is huge because, as we've learned, our right brain processes things at the speed of six times per second. So you can't really process words or ideas or principles that fast, but you can process images, and our mind constantly does that. And that's why we talked about how we often feel a certain way about things without even understanding why we feel that way, because our mind is constantly seeing images and processing our environment. And so when you're in a trial, when you're in a struggle, and you're wanting to know how to respond or or searching for help, It's not, you know, that sermon that you necessarily remember or a certain key principle in a book that you read, but it's the image of your mom or your dad or your friend or or a loved one that that showed us what it looked like to navigate challenges in life well. Imitation is a direct driver of transformation, and it requires hesed-agape relationships to be the the delivery pipeline. Well, one of the first things that Jesus taught us is that we are to imitate his love. I love John 13, 34. A new commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. I've been spending three years now serving you. Uh, doing life with you. My challenge is that you go out and love one another as I have loved you. In 1 Corinthians four sixteen. <clears throat> the, the apostle Paul says, Imitate me. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me, he writes. He goes on in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Hebrews 13:7, that we are to think of our spiritual leaders and consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. That's the example that we are to imitate. Hebrews chapter 10 says that we're to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, that we're not to forsake the assembling and gathering together of of ourselves, but we are to do it all the more as we see the day drawing near, the day of Christ's return. And we are to do that for the purpose of stimulating one another to love and good deeds. Of course we need good teaching. Of course we need good doctrine. But we also need good examples. We need good images. We make a big mistake when we think that teaching alone is sufficient. I've told you what to do. That should be enough. Now, we need models. We need examples, and that's why the church should be modeling what spiritual formation looks like. Our character is formed by imitating those whom we love and those to whom we're attached. Well, yielding, sacrificing, imitating yields fruit, and I want to suggests that one of the first things we see as a fruit of community is shared experience. Shared experience means that the work of vulnerability required to create community yields the fruit of being invulnerable. If I I am open with you and vulnerable about my weaknesses in my life, and I bond together with you in community, then as a community, when I face a hard time, I become invincible and I become invulnerable because it's not just me anymore, but it's me linked with my community. And my community does not allow me to do life alone, does not allow me to suffer alone. And that has two aspects. One is that I don't carry burdens alone, but those burdens are shared with others, Like, I am never alone in community unless I want to be. That's a whole other sermon, you know, where we have the ability to never be alone, but we choose to be alone. But I don't have to carry the load and the burden because my community shares that with me. The other aspect is the community shares my joys with me as well. And think of how many things in life are exponentially better when they're experienced as a group, as a community. I think of different movies that I've been to that would have been completely boring if I'd watched those at home by myself. But you watch them as a community and you're just cracking up and you're having this experience together. I think about celebrations, whether it's birthday parties or achievements in life. or just it, Our joy is intensified as we gather with other people. If I'm on the golf course and I make a hole-in-one, I want to have three other guys with me or three other buddies with me that can celebrate with me rather than coming back. And they go, yeah, sure you did. Yeah, I don't believe that at all. Scott Watkins wouldn't believe that in a million years. He's seen my golf game. There's just so many aspects of life that are intensified, our joy, when we experience them in community. And so one of the fruits of community is shared experience. Ecclesiastes 4 says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is no one around to lift him up. And if one can be overpowered, being alone, two can resist. A cord of two or three strands is not quickly torn apart. Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul lifts up the fact too that when we are inseparately attached to our Heavenly Father, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, how that provides this invincible experience in life where we can go and and be impenetrable because nothing can separate us from Christ's love, neither life nor death nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers. Nothing in all of creation has the ability to separate us from Christ. That's shared experience. Well, the second thing that I see is shared strength. When I attach in community, it's not just me anymore, but it's the strength of community. And that was just illustrated through Ecclesiastes and through through Romans, how we're stronger together than we are alone, how huge that is. Finally, shared beauty. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that we're all being transformed into Christ's image. That the process has begun. It'll be completed when we see him face to face. And in that moment, and in the twinkling of an eye, we'll be transformed into his perfect image. But right now, we're all in the process of transformation. And I love how creation was described in, in Genesis 1. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Simple takeaway. You can gather together as men or as women all day long, but you will never get a full picture of what God is like unless you have men and women together because God is neither male nor female. He is both. He created us both in his image. And so as we come together in community, we get a more accurate picture of what God looks like. And I would argue that shared beauty is more intense than individual beauty. When I am gathered together with my community and we're shining the light and the glory of the one whose image we're being transformed into, that's a whole different level of beauty than just me personally or you personally. And so that's, that's the, the glory of community. When we come together and we start seeing things about God in those that we're gathered with, we start loving different things about God because of the people that we're with. Appreciating different things about his character. That's the shared beauty that we're talking about. It's a beauty that's reflected in marriage and family and friends as we come together in relationships. Our shared beauty is a more accurate reflection of our Creator than our individual beauty. Well, wrapping this all up spiritual formation doesn't happen in a vacuum, it doesn't happen in isolation. There are aspects of it that can happen individually, but it happens on a big scale as we come together in relationships with others and with God. Whether it's the image of what our brothers and sisters in Christ have modeled for us, or the strength that comes through uniting together against sin and temptation and trial, God created us for community and we're better together. That's the whole essence of this series. Combining what we learned last week about joy with this week, community is that group of people that when I'm with them, I sense that they're delighted to be with me. And that brings me joy because I'm in the presence of other people that are just, they're joyful, they're delighted to be with me. And that's a reflection of our Heavenly Father who's delighted to have us as his children and part of his family and to do life with us as well. As we yield to God and each other in love and obedience, as we sacrifice considering the needs of others above and beyond our own needs, and as we imitate the example of others who have stimulated us to love and good deeds, we enjoy the fruit of shared experience and shared strength and shared beauty. Some challenges that I would leave with you today as we kind of walk away from this, but If you're not part of a small group, consider it. I am not saying you need another teaching time in your life. Maybe you do. But I'm not pushing small groups in terms of another teaching time about just learning more. I'm talking about a group of people that you can do life with, that you can take vacations with, that you can navigate the trials and joys of life with because God designed us for community. Maybe it's not a small group. Maybe it's just an accountability relationship where you you reach out to somebody else and say, you know, I basically have nobody in my life that I'm checking in with. I basically have nobody who's keeping tabs on me, who can celebrate life with me, who can challenge me in the areas that I need to grow. I'm I'm stagnant because I'm not, you know. Maybe it's a discipleship relationship. Where you go to somebody and say, hey, would you disciple me? I've never been formally discipled, and I know a lot about God and about faith, but I've never had that modeled with me, and I want to walk with somebody. An action step from today would be to link arms with others as we are pursuing God in our relationship, because it's not only joy that transforms us, but God uses community as well. Let's pray. Lord God, We thank you for your word. We thank you that you desire joy for us, joy that will last, that will remain, that won't quickly pass away. And God, you designed us, you created us for community from the families that we were born into, to your church, and to what it means to be the bride of Christ and to grow together as we accommodate one another in love and Stimulate each other to, to live for you and to, to further your kingdom. And God, we want to grow in our faith. We don't want to be at the same place. We want to mature. We want to be spiritually formed in the image of Christ. And so we ask that you would continually show us what that looks like as we experience joy and as we do the work of community in order that we might experience the fruit of community. God, may your church be the one place where people find this that's modeled, even if everywhere else in the world fails them. God, we pray that as we give of our gifts today, whether we do that here physically at church or we do so online, we pray that you would take our gifts that are a reflection of all that you've provided for us and multiply those gifts to meet the financial needs of this church body, of the ministries here, of those who work here, as well as those in our community that we are partnered with and our missionaries around the world that are furthering your kingdom, God. I, we feel so inadequate to be able to finance the kingdom. But God, it takes each one of us, giving what we have, taking our talent, trusting that you'll multiply it and use it for eternal purposes. So we give it expectantly, looking forward to how you're going to use us and our resources. In Jesus' name, amen.